0: I will spend time with God every day, every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy, holy. Holy. I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. I think it's interesting in today's society. You cannot help. You cannot escape. The fascination that we have with greatness. I mean, you cannot turn on your TV without seeing some lame reality TV show that is trying to find the next great singer or the next great uh, cook or the next great famous person who can dance or, you know, the next great scientist who works at a zoo. Or, you know, I mean, there's, there, we cannot help, you know, there's, there's all these... TV is saturated with these shows of trying to find the next person to win the next thing, to be the greatest at something or other. And, 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 and for some reason, all of us hate those shows, and yet we cannot, we, they, we must watch them. Because they're still on every station all the time. So you say you hate it, but you must really secretly indulge in watching these horrible, you know, you, maybe you want to see who's going to be the next greatest Paris Hilton's BFF, or, you know, I don't know what it is that that you liked. Maybe you want to see who's going to be the great person to, you know, fall in love with Flavor Flav again, you know? I don't know what it is, but but we keep watching them for some reason. We're intoxicated with the idea of greatness, and we can't get away from it, but it seems that our, what, what we call greatness, our definition of greatness is a little bit off. I think any of you can, you know, talk to your grandparents and, and find a different way to define great than than what you currently, than how we think of greatness in in modern culture today. You know, I mean, I, I know that my grandpa uh, he started at age sixteen working at a Safeway. Sweeping the floors. He spent the rest of his life working his way up the chain until he ended as like the treasurer of, of, his, of his store. He worked his whole career at this one store and he went, from, he went from floor sweeper guy to dealing with all of their money. And that was considered great because you, you talk to our grandparents generation and they consider greatness to be defined as keeping a job, you know, providing for your family, staying steady you know, being married to the same person for your whole life, you know, and, and, and those are some of the things that, that used to be defined, you don't even have to, I mean, that's just obvious as you talk to them, for those of you that talk to your grandparents, <laughs> you know, and then our parents' generation, I think, I, I think started to change a little bit, uh, our parents' generation, I think, defines greatness more based on achievement, based on if you can be the best at what you do, if you can get to the top of your company, if you can be the president, if you can make the most money, if you can, you know, they kind of, uh, our parents' generation sw- switch, switched it into being about success, not just about being steady, but being uh, successful. And I think, you know, the, if you have more money, if you have more things, if you have more, you know, people that report to you, that's what, that's what being great was. I think it's interesting if you look at what, how we define greatness as, as, uh, in our generation today, our age group. I would say that the majority of the way that we define greatness is whether or not you're famous. Our generation defines greatness based on fame. Because I mean, it doesn't matter if you're good at anything, you can be famous and make a lot of money. You know, it doesn't matter if you are some, you know, dumb kid in high school that makes videos where you speed up your voice to sound like a squirrel and put them on YouTube and two million people watch and think that you're famous. You know, Weezer will make a whole music video about people that got famous off the internet. Like, we just, we love famous people. People get, people, we we think people are great for the dumbest reasons. Do you know that, I, I, I'm guilty of this. I think some people are great because of the way that they can throw a football. I mean, I know that is, that's really like a really big deal, you know, but like, I mean, like, I think some people, some people that we call great, we call Michael Jordan, we call Michael Jordan, what is, what is Michael Jordan? The GOAT. Anybody know what GOAT is? GOAT? Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. Right there, basketball. Michael Jordan, he's the GOAT of basketball, you know? Like, we, we, why? Because he can jump higher than any of us. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Ooh, he can jump high. You know, like, I mean, what is, but, but we are so fascinated with fame. And we give people this, this massive uh, following based on if they can sing really well. At least that's, it. well, whatever. You know, I mean, singing, they actually had to try to learn how. Some people, you know, they're just, they're just wealthy, so they're famous. Their parents were successful in their generation, so that means that they're famous. And we think that they get, they get all sorts of attention, you know. I mean, we, we, give, we give actors and actresses all sorts of attention. Why? Because they can pretend to be somebody else? You all do that every day! You know? I mean, I, so, but, but our generation, we are so fascinated with fame. We're so fascinated with this idea of, of just getting to be known. I, I think if you look out, like, it, just, it plagues, it's all over the place. Everybody wants to become known. Everybody wants to, to be found out who, the, you know, they want other people to know them. I think if you, start, if you talk to people and you ask them, you know, what, is, what are your goals? I think people, maybe when you were five, uh, when you were, you know, when you were younger, maybe you wanted to be a fireman, or maybe you wanted to be a policeman. Rico, what did you want to be? Garbage man. Maybe you wanted to be a garbage man, you know. And somewhere along the way, most of us switch, like that's a surprise. You, you laugh. I, we knew, you know, he, high, high, you know, he had high goals. And, you know, listen, listen. Brammer wanted to paint the, the road. roads, so you guys, you're great buddies. So. <laughs> Hi, I'm just saying that was what. Anyway, you know, like w- when you, when you're a kid, you want you kind of want to do really practical things, and it seems like the older we get, the more uh, airy fairy our dreams become. And you know, I remember uh, when I was in high school. Um, I might have told you guys this before, but when I was in high school, uh, I would talk to people and. Uh, they'd ask me what I wanted to do, and, and, I, and I would say, well, I don't think that there's a definition for my future job. And, uh, you know, really what I want to do, I just want to change the world. That's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. And uh, I remember when I graduated high school, my youth pastor gave me a, a book that, uh, my utmost for his highest. Um, and uh, he wrote in it. And, and in it, he wrote he wrote a really nice little note. And at the bottom, he said, Dan, I look forward to seeing how you, in quotations, change the world. And I got that, that book from him and I read it and it was a really sweet note until I got to that last sentence. And I read it and I said, Why do you have to use quotations? why did that be like till you change the world? You know? I was like I was like, he doesn't he doesn't think I'm going to. Psh, he doesn't even believe in me. I, what, I I don't know what kind of aspiration that is. To, I mean, by being alive in some way I changed the world, so I guess I'm successful. But you know, I, I I changed, you know, the amount of coffee that was in that urn over there. So I guess I changed the world in some butterfly effect, you know. But, you know, it's kind of... But, but we, we love this idea. But here's the thing. I, I think it's really easy for us to kind of jump on uh, our, our dreams of greatness as, as a negative thing. But the truth is, is that all of us have a desire to be great. Each one of us, it, it's within you, you have this desire to be great. It's not a sin To want to be great. It is not a sin to desire to be great. You were created for it. I'd even venture to say, I'd even guess that the reason that many of you, if not all of you, are here tonight is because in you is this desire for greatness. And so you wanted to get around the kind of people that you think were going to push you to be, you know, all that you can be in the army you know, but you're going to get around the kind of people that could make you who you feel you're called to be. There's a desire to be great, so that's why you want to get around a tribe like this. It's in you. Last week, uh, I mean, last week our men's accountability had a very spiritual meeting. Uh, last Friday was Fall Fest, and uh, so the night before Fall Fest, we uh, made our way over to the tent, and they had the. Uh, it wasn't like a mechanical bull, it was like a self-propelled bull, and, uh, you know, we're like, you get one person on the bull, and then four guys pulling ropes, trying to buck them off, and we, you know, we spent a a solid hour, um, the the bounce around bull, you know, it it like has like the the big air, uh, so like when you fall off, you don't kill yourself, and it was really humorous. Uh, Rico was by far the greatest at getting on the bull. He was at least the most entertaining. Oh, he left. I made fun of him and he left. He, uh, he was at least most entertaining. Matt Martin had, had many, had, I mean, he's from Texas. So it, it's a given that he had skills on staying on this bull. He, he made it the longest. Uh, none of us quite made it to eight seconds, you know, like the professionals. Matt made it to, what was it, seven, six point, six point eight, something like that. And uh, so he was—he was the best. However, he also was the only one to get thrown off the bull so far that he did not even land on the airbag thing. He landed on the floor on his tailbone. It still hurts. So, uh, so it was kind of a, a win-lose situation for him there. But so we did this. And we had—we had a great time. But eventually, I mean, you know, you just—you you start. Throwing people off this bull for a while—it's fun, and eventually, kind of, you know, you kind of get tired, and you know, riding a fake bull for four seconds at a time—it's more tiring than you would think, and uh, it's a great ab workout. I mean, not that we needed it, but you know. And so, uh, so eventually, we're kind of all—it's kind of—you can tell it's starting to taper down a little bit, and then there were some words that were uttered, and these were the words: "King of the Bull." And immediately, everyone in that room knew exactly what we were to do. We were to run and jump on the bull and be the last person on it, casting off everyone else on your way. I mean, you know, throw elbows, bite, kick, whatever you got to do, you were to be the last person on that bull. If you're taking notes tonight and you want to title the sermon, I'm going to call it King of the Bull. <laughs> King of the Bull. We all knew exactly what it was. I think... How many, in, how many of you in here have never played a game called King of the Hill? Anybody never play King of the Hill? No. I don't believe you. King of the Hill, uh, maybe maybe it's just for us in Oklahoma. You know, we didn't have much else to do. Uh, but, you know, growing up, you, you, you would basically, you have a group of people with nothing better to do and a mound of something. And so, uh, you just, what you do is you all try to get to the top. And you try to be the one at the top. And everybody's trying to push you off the top. And, I mean, we use hay. We would use dirt. Uh, I remember one time we used a picnic table at a park. You know, like, whatever you gotta use. But it's just, it's, it's a real simple game. You can play it later tonight if you want. But it's just a game about shoving other people aside so that you can be on top. And, uh, and so, so, you know, we grew up playing this, and for those of you that haven't ever played this, first off, I don't believe you. But secondly, you need to play tonight. We need to set up a game. This is a game you need to experience. But, uh, this go- and it's just this, it's this weird thing. You don't really have to teach people how to play the game. You say, we're playing King of the Hill. And if they don't already know how to play, they quickly catch on. It's not hard to find out, oh, it's my job to go push that person off onto their back so that they have to maybe go to the hospital, but at least I'm on top of the hill. You know, <laughs> you know like it's not that hard to figure out. And here's the thing. You start to build alliances and you start to build teams and you're like, hey, if you can keep them off and you know, whatever. And everybody thinks that they have a team going and, and until you get to the top. And once you're at the top, all of a sudden, the team that helped you get there, they don't care about you because yeah. they're coming to push you off. And you're like, but you're my team. And they're like, bam, I don't care, you know. And it's kind of this all for one. No, opposite of that. <laughs> it's kind of this all against one mentality. I think it's interesting that, that we... As children play that game, I think it seems to be something in each of us. This untaught desire to want to be on top. This untaught, desi- untaught desire to want to be first. This untaught desire to want to be great. And, and like I said, I don't think it is a sin. I do think it is God given. I think sometimes though for many of us, we go throughout our entire life playing some form of king of the hill. We're playing some form of trying to push other people down so that we can be on top. We're trying to shut other people up so that our voice can be heard. We're trying to make other people look dumb so that we look good. We're, whatever it is, we're, we're, we're trying to get because we want to be on top. We want to be known as the king of the, of the bull, if you will. And, uh, but but I, I don't know that it's all bad. You know, I read earlier where, where Jesus' disciples asked him, Jesus, you know, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, these guys hang out with Jesus. These guys spend time with him. They know him. They know his tendencies. Um, if I were them, I would try to ask questions that makes me look good, you know, like in front of, you know, the Messiah. I would want him to think I was a pretty smart guy. And so they, they probably thought, maybe not all of them, maybe not like Peter, but most of them thought before they taught, talked, you know. like and, and, uh, But they asked him, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what did Jesus do? He... Did Jesus look at them and rebuke them and say, how dare you ask me such a sinful question? No. Did Jesus, did Jesus say, oh you sinners, don't you know, there is no such thing as the greatest in heaven. We are all equal in heaven. I remember one time I was driving with my uh, mom and brother in the car. Uh, I don't know how old I was. I'll say I was seven because it makes me look better. If I was like 18, it's a bad day. But you know, we were, we were, uh, we were talking about something and and I, I butted into their conversation, and I said, Yeah, but don't you know the Bible says all men are created equal? <laughs> Some of you are like, why is that funny? It turns out the Bible didn't really say that. The Declaration of Independence says that. Um, but the Bible doesn't really say that. That was a little embarrassing moment for me. Jesus doesn't look at them and say, Don't you know all men are created equal? No. Jesus answered their question when they said, who's going to be the greatest, he gave them an answer. However, the answer he gave them was pretty much, like always, the exact opposite of what they expected. But Jesus didn't say there's no such thing as the greatest. He didn't condemn them for wanting to be the greatest. He just answered them. He just told them, okay, you want to know? Here's the secret. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, No eye has seen No ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I love that verse. All of us love that verse. How can you not love that verse? You can't read that verse and be like, man, I am depressed. You know? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. God has great things prepared for you, the people that love him. He has great things prepared for you. But I think one of the important things for us to do is we need to understand that we have the wrong definition of what greatness is. Because ultimately, greatness is not about fame. Greatness is not about success. And even as good as, the thi- as they are, greatness is not about being steady and, and keeping a job. Those things are good, some of them. But that's not what it is. And we need to understand that God's definition of greatness is different than our definition of greatness. All of you. All of you. I'm sure of it. Have a desire to be great. You want that in your life. I think there. I want to talk about four things. That we have to. It's kind of Jesus's. Uh, terminology you know jesus oftentimes flipped the script on people they asked you know they asked question in law and he responded in love they would ask they, they asked questions trying to trip him up and he would give an answer that they that befuddled them you know and jesus in responding to how to be great he did the same thing so i want to talk to us tonight about uh, four different ways in the kingdom of god to to seek out greatness how you can be great in the kingdom First thing is, is the very obvious one. If you want to be great, you must be a servant. If you want to be great, you must serve others. That's what Jesus, that was his main thing he talked about in response to this. And and by the way, if you go read the Gospels, Jesus talked about greatness a lot. He talked about how to be great pretty often. Mark 9.35 says this, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, the servant of all. We must be willing to serve other people. The big one, Matthew 20, starting in verse 26. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus sets up here in Matthew 20. He's saying, listen friends, if you want to be great, then you got to be a servant. But the great thing is what he's doing is he's not saying, I came to, you know, so that you would serve me. And and now I'm telling you that you, you know, get people to serve you. He's saying, no, follow my example. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. If you want to be great, if you want to be like Jesus, then you need to be a person that serves other people. You need to be a person that gets excited about serving. A person that, that enjoys kind of, you know, this idea here of laying yourself down for other people. It's the primary thing Jesus says if you want to be great. And it's the opposite of what we think, and that's probably why Jesus said it. I mean, none of us think of greatness as how many people can I serve. None of us think, okay, you know, I got a new job, and I want to be really good at this job. And so what I want to do is I never want to be the boss. None of us think I never want to be the person that other people look to for leadership. We think in order to be great, we have to be the leader. In order to be great, we have to be the person telling other people what to do. We have to be the person that, that's kind of overseeing. But what Jesus said is he said, if you want to be great, become the servant of all. Which is, which is really hard for him to say that. I really, it it, it kind of bugs me that he said that. I wish he said, be the servant of some. You know, be the servant of nice people. Be the servant of people that treat you well. Be the servant of, of you know, the people that you get along with or the people that, that do, you know, run the thing that you want to serve. Unfortunately, he said, if you want to be great, you must become the servant of all. We need to be walking around thinking of ourselves as servants. How can I serve other people today? It's the opposite of what, how we think of greatness. That's what Jesus said. If you look at Ephesians 6, verse 5, I'm going to read 5 through 8. I'm going to read this in the Message Bible. Glenn Packham gave me the right to do that last week. And so I'm going to do that. Ephesians 6, 5. Servants, respectfully obey your earthly master, but always with an eye. ...to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by... ...but work heartily as Christ's servants... ...doing what God wants you to do. Work with a smile on your face... ...always keeping in mind that no matter... ...who happens to be giving the orders... ...you're really serving God. You can serve people in all aspects of life. You can serve people as... um, ...when you're at work... ...and you really dislike your boss or if you have a table that doesn't tip well, or that is rude to you, or if you have whatever it may be, you have the choice in that moment to serve people, but ultimately what you're doing is you're serving God. Ultimately, in our serving people, it's saying, God, I love you enough. I want to lay myself down in this moment because this is what you've asked me to do. I want to serve. You know, it's funny, Austin, you know, talking tonight about... uh, you know about these prayer teams for the prayer meetings, um, I encourage you if, if you want to be involved to jump on that. You know when we started the furnace, it was a twelve hour a week program wasn 't ten and uh, it was three prayer meetings, the gathering church, and two hours of volunteer ministry somewhere and, uh, and and so at our core at our heart that we want to be a people that is that are that are serving other people and I hope that that as you spend time in the furnace, you leave with a mentality that says, where can I give, not what can I get. Some of the, some of the people that have been most successful in this, in this program, in this community, are the people that, that just gave everything they could. and Didn't ask for anything back, but in so doing... I believe they're some of the people that I've seen the most growth in, that I've seen God shape and mold the most. The people that, the people that were willing to, to pour themselves out. And this isn't some pitch to try to get you involved here. What I'm saying is we need to be the kind of people that willingly give ourselves to serving other people. That means when you're having a conversation with someone, you listen to them. You actually care about what they have to say. Because you're looking at them and you're saying, how can I serve this person? How can, how can I do something for them in this moment? We must be servants. Number two, in order to be great, we must be humble. Again, it's, it's strange. Most of the people that we think are successful, we wouldn't attribute with humble. Matthew 18, verse 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Here they're asking it again. uh, Or this is the same story here. And he said, this this was his answer. Again, he didn't rebuke them. He didn't tell them, how dare you ask that question. He just answered them. He said, he called a little child to him and had him stand among them. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humble people. That's what we need to be. Humble people. That's what Jesus tells us to be. Pursuing greatness and pursuing humility are not opposites. Sometimes we think that they are. And, and in our mind, it's, it's easy to see them as opposites. But by pursuing greatness, you're not pursuing, or you're, it's not the opposite of pursuing humility. They actually coincide. It's really important that as we uh, talk about humility, that this idea of, of, of greatness is... Um, It's important that we don't look at it as something that is uh, seeking our own good. At the same time, it's important that it's it's not us neglecting our desire to be great. You know, and our desire to to fulfill what God has called us to. A lot of times we operate in in false humility. Um, Humility is not looking bad in other people's eyes. Humility, sometimes we think that, oh... If I'm humble, what that means is other people see me as low. Other people see me as, as not significant. Other people see me as, as not a big deal. Humility isn't about looking bad in other people's eyes. At all. That, that is, I think, that is, the, that is primarily that is false humility. Because what we're doing is we're wanting people to see our humility so that they can think we're super humble. Which is pride, so you're kind of hosed. You know? <laughs> If you want people to think of you, oh, I'm I'm just going to, right now, I'm going to be really humble. And uh, I'm just going to choose to have a good attitude so that they can see me and see that I'm humble. And then they'll know that I'm second to Moses. You know, (laughs) by wanting people to know you're humble, generally that is uh, the definition of pride. Humility is not about looking bad to other people. Uh, Humility, true humility, is about glorifying God. True humility is about it not being about you, but it being about God. So if we're deflecting for the purpose of deflecting just because we, we want people to think we're humble, then that's wrong. If we're accepting praise because we want people to think we're great, then that's wrong. True humility is glorifying God. The goal is to focus on God without regard to whether it, it makes you look good or bad. It doesn't matter if you look good or bad true humility is about making god look great does that make sense sometimes we operate in this that we we think that i can't really strive for greatness because i'm supposed to be humble they don't they don't they're not they're not opposites you can you you seek after greatness and and, and what that is is being humble and glorifying god second thing though is that it's, you can't be self promoting You know, in this idea of humility, it's not about self-promoting. And that's really hard for us. Because I think from day one, we learn how to self-promote. It's kind of, you know, going back to King of the Hill. It's innate within each of us. We know how to do it. We know how to make ourselves look good and other people look bad. We know how to fight for the attention. We know how to uh, fight for, you know, people liking us. We want to succeed at our job. And so we want to make other people look like they can't do as well as we can. It's, it's, it's self-promotion. We can't be people that self-promote. That's, that, that is the opposite. That's how the world seeks, seeks greatness. I mean, would, would you agree with that? I think that, you know, if I'm in the world trying to say, how can I be the greatest that I can be? How can I be the most successful I can be? That my sole job is to climb the corporate ladder by pushing other people down. It's to punch people in the face when they're trying to get to the top of the hill so that I can stay on top. Jesus says, stay at the bottom. Don't try to get to the top. Stay at the bottom. Serve others. Matthew 19, 30. But many, are, but many who are first will be last. and Many who are last will be first. And in 2016, the last will be first and the first will be last. It's hard for us to grasp that because it seems, you know, as, as, as Jesus says that, I'm sure the disciples are like, mm, that's good, Jesus. Yes, the first will be last and the last will be first." And then they walk away, what did he just say? That does not make any sense. Does that make sense to you? No. Jesus is looking at them and saying, don't fight for your own glory. Don't try to be self-promoting. Don't try to make other people think that you have something that they don't. Stay at the back. Stay humble. Stay low. Okay, number three is interesting. In seeking greatness, we must understand authority. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must understand authority. Open up to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, we'll start in verse 5, if you have your Bible. This is, a, this is the story of the centurion. It says this, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, Sorry. 8-5 uh, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And here's where he says it. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those who following him, I tell, you, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. In verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that very hour. That story is pretty loaded. It has a lot of um, the topic of faith in it. It has the topic of prayer. Uh, there's a lot of different things in there. But I find it so interesting, his response. Because here he is, he comes to Jesus, he's got a servant back home who's, who's, who, who needs healing, and he says, Jesus, uh, can you heal my servant? And Jesus. This is what Jesus says to him, yes, I'll go this very hour, I'll go right now. The, Jesus. I mean, the guy comes and he says, hey Jesus, will you, will you heal the guy? Jesus says, yes, I will. And so some of us, most of us in there, but this guy said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a man under authority. I know how this works, Jesus. I tell people what to do and they do it because I have author- or because I'm under authority. I have authority. So Jesus, all you got to do is say it. I know that you have authority. You say it, it'll happen. And it did. So Jesus saved Jesus a trip. Jesus said, sweet, awesome. All right. You know, he's healed right now. And, uh, and, and so, you know, probably saved the guy that needed healing two hours or three hours worth of being sick. You know, like, because Jesus didn't have to walk to him because so, the guy had faith, so he had, a, he had some bonus time of actually being healed there. You know, and it, but, but it, the guy understood. He said, but the interesting thing is he didn't say, I know how to tell people what to do and they do it. He said, I am under authority, therefore... When I tell people to do whatever I tell people to do, they do it. When I tell my soldiers to move, they move. When I tell them to do this, they do it. If you want to be a person who has authority in the kingdom of God, you have to be a person who's under authority. You have to be a person who operates under authority. Primarily, obviously, that, it makes tons of sense for us to say, you know, you need to be under God's authority. Obviously, that, that, that's easy. But you know what? You're under other authority here on earth. You need to be under authority. You know, the scripture says that all authority has been appointed by God. You need to be under that authority. So, for some of you, that looks like your boss at work. Some of you, that's your teacher. Some of you, that's your accountability leader. But all of us, uh, all of us have authorities over us. And what we have to do is we have to submit to those authorities in order to be able, for God to be able to trust us with authority. Does that make sense? And, and it's really hard because a, a, a lot of people. In a program like this, we find out that a lot of people struggle with authority. A lot of people have a hard time submitting to authority. A lot of people, be it from um, hurts and pains from their family, from their parents, from their dad, from their mom, be it be it a, you know a, um, a teacher who was mean to them, or I, whatever the reason, a boss that fired them without cause, you know. There's a lot, most of us, I would say, at some level don't like being told what to do. Do you agree with that? I generally, most of us don't like being told what to do, and that's what we think of authority. We think authority tells me what to do. You know? But what, I mean, listen, I'm, this whole, we, could, we could go on and do a whole series on authority, but what I want you to hear from me tonight is that in order for God to be able to trust you with anything, with any kind of authority, you need to be someone who is submitted to authority. You need to have leaders over you, and you need to submit to them. You need to, you need to operate under their authority and under God's authority. Now, obviously, if, if, if uh, they're telling you to do something that is unscriptural, then, then, that's, you know, then you need to follow God, not man. But, for the most part, you know, like your accountability leaders, I think most of them probably are not telling you to do very many things that are against the scripture. I mean, some of them maybe sometimes, but that's just because, you know, sometimes Matt is a little heretical, and, uh, and he doesn't mean to be. I'm just, I'm just joking. You know, but the truth is, is that, that all of us, it, whenever you're put in authority, it starts to, under authority, it starts to squeeze you. And it starts, to, it starts to be kind of hard. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, most of you are between 18 and 25. And um, so for some period of time, you've kind of been on your own. And then you come in and do, do a program like this. And all of a sudden, you're having people tell you what to do again. I moved out of, of my parents' house. That's actually not true. Uh, my parents moved out of my house when I was 18. Anybody, you, guys, you know how like people are all excited to leave home? I was graduating high school, and um, I had planned to live at home and and save money by living at home and commuting to school. And then, like the day after I graduated, my parents picked up and moved, and uh, so there I was stuck in a city that I hadn't lived in very long. I was like, "Oh, my home left me." But um, you know, we, we, most of you have been on your own for a little while. You haven't had a curfew. You haven't had people telling you what to do. You've got to live your own life. And then all of a sudden, you do something like this, and you have people who are. be it it the furnace or be just going to church where you have pastors or or spiritual leaders of some kind informing you how they think you should live it's hard we don't like it we buck up against it I think the Bible makes it clear that we have authority if we can operate under that authority I think that's really important for all of us to hear for all of us to, to understand that's number three is we must understand authority and then number four Number four is we must persevere. We must persevere. Life's not easy and it's not fast. People say that life is short. That's probably true in the long term of eternity. But for most of us, we got a lot more time left as far as our grid is. And, um, you know, when you think of you're 21 right now, in nine years you're going to be 30. That's crazy. But nine years ago you were 12. You know, so, so let's, did I do my math right? Was I good there? Okay. Uh, you know, so, uh, so life, life takes time. Makes sense. And uh, so we must persevere. James 1, verse 12. The man who, perse- uh, blessed, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test of time, he will receive a crown that God has promised to those who love him. God has promised you a crown. We must persevere to get there. There's a guy, um, I, I'm a sports fan, and so I, I follow sports somewhat. And, uh, and so there's a guy that this week, uh, he plays college basketball. College basketball season is just getting started. It's kind of in the like preseason time. And uh, Sooners are going to be really good this year, and so that's always good and rare. But uh, so um, it like, happens like once every 10 years. Anyway, you don't care. Uh, so, uh, so there's this guy that this, this past week... Um, it was a big deal, a big moment in his life. He, he's a basketball player, and what his story is basically that he played basketball at one school, and um, he got kicked off that team because he played a prank on his coach, and apparently the coach didn't like the prank that he that he played on him, kicked him off the team, and uh, he 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 to the, you know like he says that he didn't do it, but he got blamed for it, so he got kicked off the team. Um, So what he did is he he decided that he would apply at another college, and uh, this past week he actually, he he applied, he got accepted to another college, tried out for the basketball team, made the basketball team, and then, uh, but he's not very good apparently, and so uh, he kind of rides the pine a little bit, but he got in. And uh, th- his team was blowing out the other the team he got in and was able to uh, make, get fouled and make a couple free throws. Got his name in the book. It's down. He, he says, look at me. You know, I, I, I was able to do it. And it's a cool story of like kind of overcoming. And he, he, feel, he felt like he was dismissed from his team improperly. Um, but he didn't, he didn't stop there and just say, well, that's lame. My, you know, I guess I'm never going to play basketball again. he decided to uh, go ahead and, and try out at another school. That's an interesting story. I, I like those stories. Those stories happen all the time. The difference with this story is that he got kicked off his school, or kicked off his team in the 50s. He's 72 years old this week, playing college basketball. I mean, it's some po-dunk school in Kentucky. Made it on his basketball team, <laughs> on his college basketball team at 72 years old. <laughs> got in a game, got fouled. Scored two points. I love that. That is so awesome. I, I, I don't even know what I would do. I mean, I, I, would, I wouldn't know how to play pickup ball against a 72-year-old, you know? But I, I think that's such a cool story for us as, as we think of our life. A lot of us think at age 22, 23, oh, I'm off track of where I feel like God's called me to be. And, you know, my, my life is veered off and I don't know if it's ever going to get, you know, back on track. A lot of us, you know, as, as you go through life, there's different things that happen to you. There's pain. There's frustrations. It's just the way life is. Sometimes things aren't going to turn out the way you think they are. Some of you may feel like you got kicked off your team, you know, and, and you didn't deserve it. But I look at this guy who relentlessly, 72 years old, decides to go back to school and play basketball. And I, I don't even know what it takes to be 72. It's... it's It's cool enough that he even decided to go back to school. But then to think the audacity of trying out for the basketball team. I mean, the audacity of that is crazy. And then to make it, I'm sure the coach just felt bad for him. You know, he's like, this old man, like, I got to let him in. (laughs) Don't be discouraged when life doesn't go the way you think it should. Life takes time. We go through trials. We, We have to persevere through things. But the man who perseveres under trial is blessed. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown that God has promised him. Those that love him. If you're the kind of person that loves him, if, here's what's in that verse. If you love God, trials are going to come. But blessed are you when you persevere. You will receive the crown. I love in Revelation where it talks about casting our crowns down before him. I just think as, as we, that, that picture in my mind is just, you know, it's our desire on earth to gain as many crowns as possible. Why? So that in heaven we can be great? No, that we can have one more crown to throw down before him and worship God. It's not that you want to be great because you want to achieve or because you want to be successful. It comes out of a motivation. If I can have one more crown to throw before him ashes, the crowns of this life. He will crown you if you persevere. Again, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul talks about this in Philippians. Paul gives a long list of what he did and did not do. And uh, it's, it's kind of a... It's in Philippians 2. And he's kind of given a, a laundry list of his great successes. This is what he says. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Now I know I said be humble. But Paul here was... Um, I'll trust him. So... If anyone thinks he has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So here's Paul, and he's looking at his culture. He's looking at what they call successful. What they call great. And he's saying, if you think you have reason to boast, I got more. Let me tell you all the things that I achieved. Let me tell you all the greatness that I achieved. Then he says this wonderful thing. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. All the greatness that we may strive for is nothing compared to knowing Christ. It's nothing. I think we have a wrong perspective even in our Christian world of what greatness is. One of my favorite stories of looking at how God chooses people and how God defines people is the story of uh, David in the Old Testament. I, I, I mean, he's written about You know so much of the Old Testament he's written about in the New Testament. This this is obviously a man that's a hero of the faith. You know, Uh, but how he started out was interesting. He started out a shepherd boy on the side of a hill singing songs to sheep. He had he apparently had no friends because he would just sit out you know all day and sing about bears and tigers and you know make up songs. And Samuel is told to go anoint Jesse's son, son the next king. And uh, he doesn't want to go because he says, surely Saul will kill me. God says, I'll take care of it. You just go and fill, you know, fill up, get the oil and go, uh, go anoint the next king. So he goes to Jesse's house and he looks at his sons and he says, bring out your sons and uh, I'm going to anoint the next king. So Jesse says, round them up boys. This is a good day for our family. They go and they stand there and he goes to the, the oldest. He looks at him. He's tall. He's handsome. He's athletic. He's kingly. And God says no. So that's lame for that guy. He goes to the next one. Same thing. No. To the next one. No. 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 All the way down. Jesse's, Jesse's looked at all Jesse's. Or sorry, Samuel's looked at all Jesse's sons. He says, "Is there no one else?" Well, that's actually a gladiator. He says, <laughs> he says "Is there is." He said, do you have any more sons? <laughs> I, I bet you that Samuel was the first to say, is there no one else? But, uh, are you, so, um, he looks at all of them and he says, do you have any other sons? Jesse, you know, well, yeah, but, I mean, he's nobody. You know, he's, he's our shepherd boy son. And, well, go get him. So he goes and he grabs David. They bring David. We all know the rest of the story. Interesting, though, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, this is when Samuel is looking at David's brothers, do not consider his appearance or height. Obviously, this is one of my favorite verses. He says, do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Your greatness has nothing to do with your accomplishments. Whether or not you're great in the eyes of God has nothing to do with how successful other people think you are. It has nothing to do with how other people view you. The Bible talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. And a lot of us operate in the fear of man. We care so much about what other people think. We want other people to think we're successful. We want other people to think that we're, we're good at what we do. God says, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. God sees and cares about the quality of your heart. He cares about your motives. Do you know that you can serve your face off? And if you have wrong motives, it's wrong. You know that you can look as humble as you want to be. But if you're not really humble... Then it's wrong. You can look like you're operating under authority, but if you have, if you have a bad attitude towards your authority, it's wrong. You see what I'm saying? All these things, these things that even in in what we're talking about tonight, these things that we need to do in order to receive to, to, to be great, are nothing if your heart is wrong. Our hearts have to be right. God looks at our hearts. He defines whether we're successful or not based on how much we have cultivated a heart after him. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. Look at what David did. David achieved some great things. King of Israel, that's a pretty big deal. You know? Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. That's a good song to have sung about you. You know? He's probably, you know, obviously a pretty good musician. He was... Successful warrior, a great king, a murderer, an adulterer, a liar, and a man after God's own heart. David wasn't perfect, but he didn't define himself by his outward successes. Because when he failed, he come back. He came back, creating me a clean heart, O oh God. He came to the Lord. David's life is defined, I believe, not by, 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 not by his successes that he had, but by his response and his failures. And that's what made him a man after God's own heart. I think that's why God could trust him. Because God knew that this man will succeed and he'll fail. But he'll run after me either way. Friends, I'm telling you tonight, you're going to succeed in life. And you're going to fail. What matters is how you respond. What matters is, do you have a heart that runs to God or away from God? And don't get me wrong, our actions do matter. What you do in life does matter. You know, like, what we do with what God's given us, that that does matter. Jesus makes that very clear through his parables, you know, the parable of the talents. Like, don't go and bury what Jesus has given you and think that you're good. It matters what you do. Our actions do matter. But... Those are secondary to your heart. If your heart is wrong, then the root system is wrong. The whole tree is going to die. We need to make sure that our hearts are right for the Lord, that we have good motives for why we desire this. This question that the disciples ask, I think, is a question that we all sometimes ask. God, how can I be great? Man looks at outward successes, but God looks at our heart. In the end, large ministries... Successful businesses, fame, fortunes. Those aren't indicators of greatness in the kingdom of God. They might be about greatness on earth, but not in the kingdom. In the kingdom, how many people are you serving? Are you really humble? Are you operating under authority? Are you willing to persevere through hard times? Are you the kind of person God can trust? If so, then when, when worldly successes come, guess what? It doesn't tarnish you. If you're this kind of person that Jesus describes, then when, when, when earthly successes come, you're not, you're not tarnished in a way that you'll react sinfully. He can trust you. Do you want to run up here real quick? I think all of us tonight have desires and hopes and dreams. I hope you do. If you don't, then we need to pray with you. I hope that God has spoken things over your life and that you believe them. I hope you you believe that God wants to use you in mighty and powerful ways because it's true. God wants to crown you. You love him. He wants to see you succeed. And I believe that God wants to see you succeed in this earth and in the age to come. It's not just about, uh, you know, the future. I think he wants you to succeed now. But we gotta have right hearts. We gotta have right motives. And we gotta go about it the complete opposite way that the world thinks. It's just the way Jesus did it. You know, most of us have heard, but, you know, kind of, The way the world looks at success is, you know, a pyramid style where you're climbing to the top. And the closer to the top you get, the better. Jesus flipped it upside down. He said, how many people can I serve? The more people I can serve, the greater the ministry. It doesn't do much good to get a lot of people underneath you. But if you can get more and more people above you, then you will actually have more and more influence you want to just close your eyes with me tonight. I want you just to pray for a little bit. What has God called you to do? What do you think is the thing that God has placed in your heart? The dream he's placed in you. I think God wants you to dream big. I know he does. Friends, there is nothing wrong with desiring to be great. We have no need to repent for desiring to be great. But most all of us here tonight probably need to repent about the way in which we go about it. Whether it be pushing other people down, trying to self-promote. this community very long. You've probably heard David say pretty often that the people that are great in the kingdom of heaven when we get there may or may not be the people with successful ministries here on earth. We're going to see a lot of grandmas with many crowns that stayed faithful all of their life. A lot of businessmen. Who refused to give in to the pressures of the world. Who sought righteousness and holiness. I just want to pray for you tonight. And, um... I think this is one of those things that is hard for a lot of us I think it's probably innate in most of us to be self promoting in some aspect of life probably most of us have looked as if other people are supposed to serve us or as if we're better than someone else for any reason many of us have probably wanted to give up because we're tired of life and we feel like it's too difficult can't take it Jesus didn't come through this last time, and so I'm done with it. Father, I pray that each one of us will seek you, seek your kingdom first, and allow you to add everything else to our lives. Father, we repent tonight of the fear of man. We repent tonight of caring too much about what other people think. Father, we repent of the sin of comparison. Comparing ourselves to other people. Whether or not we're better or whether or not we're more successful. God, I pray for each one of us. May we be found seeking you. May our hearts be right before you. Man looks at the outward expression, but you look at the heart. So God, I pray that you will heal each of our hearts. Any pains, any, any wrongs, any wrong ideas. God, I pray that you will place a vision in each one of my friends' hearts tonight for what you've called them to be. May they dream big in you. But may it be for your glory, not their own. May it be for your success, not their own. May it be to make you famous, not themselves. That's our cry, Jesus. I pray for greater humility true humility, glorifying you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for Local Churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.